Hello and welcome to the Decrypting Crypto Podcast. It's December 1st. Wow, where has the year gone? <laughs> and this is Off Chain, your weekly recap of the biggest stories in Web3. I'm Matthew House Barbie, and as always, I'm here with Austin Knight. How are you doing, Austin? I have gained like 15 pounds over the course of the past week, Matt. I am completely stuffed. And I saw it looked like you had a great turkey day over there in the UK as well. Any excuse for a big dinner, Austin. You know me. I will celebrate any and all religious, non-religious holidays if they <laughs> provide me with a very full stomach at the end of it. So I'm I'm here for it. Well, we have some interesting stories to talk about today. And believe it or not, they're actually not focused on FTX. There is other stuff happening in the space. We're going to talk about some really, uh, I would say, surprising updates to Coinbase Wallet and its support for different cryptocurrencies and what that could be signaling. We're also going to give an update on BlockFi, which does have to do with FTX, but <laughs> there's a lot of info about BlockFi itself that I think you all will find interesting. And then a few other stories to wrap us up. All right, let's jump into the first story of the day. Coinbase announced that they will no longer be supporting three tokens within their Coinbase wallet. This kind of announcement usually would not be a big deal. Um, but those tokens that they are no longer going to be supporting are XRP, which is the token uh, that Ripple Labs are behind in, in one way, shape, or form. Bitcoin Cash, XLM, which is uh, Stellar, and Ethereum Classic. So there's a lot of discussion about this, as you can imagine, on crypto Twitter. Um, but I wanted to clarify a few things. Coinbase has stated that they're no longer supporting these networks and assets due to, I quote, due to low usage, which is kind of interesting considering the size of some of these uh, tokens and kind of the, the general holdings of these tokens. So... It's kind of leave, left me a little bit kind of confused. However, the most important thing, and I think where a lot of the confusion is coming from, is this will not impact their listing on Coinbase.com or the Coinbase Exchange app. Uh, so you'll still be able to kind of trade these, these tokens uh, on Coinbase. It's just that they won't be supported inside the Coinbase wallet, which in itself is kind of strange to me. Um, so th this, yeah, this change is going to take effect on December 5th, so in a few days' time. And what may just be coincidental timing, uh, but I think is clearly relevant, is that uh, Ripple, or Ripple Labs, the parent company that owns XRP, or at least owns the largest holding of XRP, I'll explain that in a moment, is getting close to wrapping up its long-standing lawsuit with the SEC. And this has been going on since 2020. Um, the December 5th date in particular is where I've seen some legal experts believing that we could see some finality to, to the case. It's still largely speculation, but I just I find it kind of interesting that this is happening at this kind of time. Um, I, that said, this, this is just really a lot of um, kind of rumors, <laughs> which the space is uh, obviously filled with. But it's worth checking out a bit of an update on the SEC case um, 
Phylon Law uh, on Twitter have, have put together a good kind of thread on some of this. But I do think it's really important to, to reiterate this only impacts Coinbase wallet and not the exchange. At least for now, the trading of these assets will continue. So what does this mean if you actually hold these assets in a Coinbase wallet? Well, if you don't move them before December 5th, you can still recover them with your Coinbase wallet recovery phrase. That said, I would recommend you move them before then because as we know, issues always come up and yeah, it's just not kind of worth it. It's it's a big move for Coinbase and it's kind of went under the radar and amongst all of the chaos in the market, but it's definitely ruffling feathers. In particular, you know, we mentioned four of these different assets, but XRP in particular is the one that we're kind of calling out here. The XRP community are particularly vocal. Some might even say cult-like. Um, so expect lots of noise on crypto Twitter around this. And also I've already seen a ton of misinformation on this. If, if you're kind of listening to what I'm saying here and thinking, what the hell is XRP? What, what the hell is Ripple? Um, you, you could be forgiven, especially if you joined the crypto space in maybe the past uh, two to three years. Well, I'll give you the, the lowdown of why this is important. It's a product project that's shrouded in controversy all the way from, from the beginning. I remember some of our early series back in, uh, in particular 2018, we talked a lot about Ripple um, and we discussed this at length when they were, in all honesty, Austin, one of the main topics of discussion, right? And um, I think that if, if you if you have a little uh, history check here, I'll just explain very briefly the background of, of Ripple. So th this is where a lot of the controversy started and is still discussed today. So in 2011, David Schwartz, Jed McCaleb, and Arthur Bredow, they're all engineers. They began developing what is uh, what was known as the XRP Ledger and is still known as the XRP Ledger today. This is kind of like a separate um, project that was built. And they launched the XRP Ledger in June of 2012. That was also when the XRP token was launched. Then a little later in that, in that same year, they were um, joined by Chris Larson, and they started a new company called, at the time, NewCoin, which they almost immediately renamed to OpenCoin, and is now, since 2013, named Ripple Labs. So they formed the company separate to the XRP Ledger. The company Ripple Labs came after. Well, the controversy in all of this was that when the XRPL, uh, the the XRP Ledger founders, uh, kind of uh, at the beginning, they gifted 80 billion XRP tokens to the company Ripple Labs. And the majority of all of those have been in, in an escrow uh, since. <laughs> 80 billion XRP tokens sounds a lot. Sounds even more when you consider the total supply of XRP that will ever exist is 100 billion. So this quote unquote gift represents 80% of the total supply owned by the founding team of Ripple Labs. Then, you know, the real craziness started happening where in December 2020, Ripple Labs, two of its executives, were sued by the, S uh, the SEC for selling XRP tokens, which the SEC classified as an unregistered security. This is at least all part of the, the case. 
this is ongoing. It's been a consistent topic of discussion. And even now, XRP is the seventh largest cryptocurrency by market cap. It's a little over $20 billion at the kind of time of recording. And, uh, you know, the Coinbase wallet news hasn't moved the price much at all, at least at the time of recording. Um, but I just think it's a really big deal. I, I forget where Bcash is in terms of by market cap, but it's got to be a top 50 uh, coin still at least. Um, same with ETH Classic. Uh, so these are all really big tokens. Um, and I'm just kind of surprised that, I mean, like what's, I just don't understand why Coinbase Wallet wouldn't just support these if they are also trading them on the exchange. So I feel like there's more to come on this story uh, for sure. Yeah, it definitely is. Uh, it's it's bizarre. And I think it's one to keep a close eye on. Um, I, I, I do think that, yeah, a lot of the panic that, as you said, Matt, is coming out of this is panic around like, what, what does this mean for the exchange? Obviously, right now, it doesn't really mean anything, but it is an odd signal that's being sent. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll keep tracking that. And uh, I'm sure there'll be no shortage of outcry from the, uh, the XRP and the, the Bcash <laughs> community, which we'll see on Twitter. All right. Let's jump into our second story of the day. BlockFi has filed for bankruptcy. Now, you may be asking yourself, what is BlockFi? Uh, it's a platform that was launched in 2017. It's a sort of crypto wealth management service for buying, selling, and earning crypto. That uh, sounds earning, familiar. Yeah. <laughs> that, that word earning, is uh, that's an important one. Um, users could earn yield, I think it was all the way up to eight and a half-ish, maybe even more than that percent. Mm for depositing idle cryptocurrencies on the platform and interest-bearing accounts. And BlockFi also offered crypto collateralized loans at interest rates as low as 4.5%. This is the largest firm to fall in the wake of FTX so far. I say so far intentionally there, but (laughs) so far it is the largest one to fall in the wake of FTX. It has over 300,000 account holders over $20 billion in assets under management. And just last year during their Series D, yeah, uh, during their Series D last year, they raised uh, a few hundred million dollars, if I recall correctly, at a valuation of over $3 billion. So we're talking about a lot of capital here. Yeah, the fall of another unicorn, crypto unicorn at least. Yeah, exactly. So what happened with BlockFi? Well, if you recall back on November 10th, BlockFi announced that it was halting withdrawals in the wake of the FTX liquidity crisis, uh, which, of course, turned into a total collapse just the next day. So why was BlockFi so affected by FTX's collapse? Let's take a couple steps back here and uh, take a couple steps back and talk about some of the history between BlockFi and FTX and several other players in the space. BlockFi has basically just been hit by every single domino that has fallen over the course of the last year or so. Um, So you remember that BlockFi was actually in trouble at first, thanks to the Three Arrows capital collapse that happened earlier this year. They were impacted by Voyager Digital as well, if I recall correctly. But anyway, with 3AC, they experienced about $80 million in losses. And FTX stepped in at the time to rescue them in July and save them from bankruptcy or 
so we thought. Now, this deal was interesting because it had two parts, one of which was a $400 million line of credit, and the second of which was an option for FTX to buy BlockFi for up to $240 million. We covered this and went into detail on it in our June 24th episode of Off Chain. You can go back and have a listen if you want some more detail around that. And also, you can kind of hear the positive sentiment that was being had at the time around FTX, which of course has dramatically shifted over the course of the past couple of weeks. I mean, there was real confidence in FTX. A $400 million line of credit at the time seemed super solid from what was viewed as one of the most trustworthy players in the space and and at the time was being viewed as kind of, you know, this uh, superhero entity that was bailing out all of these other failed unicorns. But uh, I, I actually the, the, remember at the time in that episode, we we were chatting and we were kind of saying like, wow, I mean, thank God for Sam, right? Like <laughs> kind of swooping in and saving this. And then I, I think I made like some kind of remark where I was like, well, uh, all we need now is for Sam to turn out to be some kind of like villain and this this will all yeah. blow up. And then we kind of laughed it off and it was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> well, now yeah. here we are, uh, you know, so well, mother fool was, I guess. <laughs> Oh, it's a painful one to listen to, but you know, I think that both of us had this sort of unnerving feeling whenever we were covering that of like, please don't be another yeah. <laughs> fraud, you know. Yeah. Uh, but hey, here we are. Um, okay, so an important thing though about that deal, remember that option for FTX to buy BlockFi for up to two hundred forty million dollars. That deal was not worth $240 million at the time. That was just the highest it could possibly be if FTX exercised its option. CNBC actually reported at the time that the deal was worth closer to $25 million. So this rescue of BlockFi, it's actually what helped SBF become known as the JP Morgan of crypto by the mainstream media. It's what caused all of that positive coverage that he was getting. But really, the underlying aspects of the deal weren't quite as solid as they appeared to be on the surface, especially when you run into a liquidity crisis with FTX. So while BlockFi thought that it had a solid creditor, we all know now that FTX actually wasn't liquid and none of this would really come to fruition. So BlockFi filed for bankruptcy on Monday, November 28th, just a few days ago. In its bankruptcy filing, they noted that they have more than 100,000 creditors. And of course, those creditors would include users of the BlockFi platform. Between $1 billion and $10 billion in liabilities. I will call out, this is just a checkbox on the Chapter 11 bankruptcy filing form. Um, So that doesn't literally mean that they have $10 billion in liabilities. That number is still kind of being uh added up right now as it's, they it's go quite a big hearings. quite a big um deviation there isn't it between it's, one yeah. billion and 10 billion it's quite quite yeah. a quite a big gap to to fall within yes it is but regardless it's a huge number and it looks like one billion dollars alone is owed to just three creditors so that includes $729 million being owed to Ancura Trust Company, which is the trustee through which the company runs its BlockFi interest accounts. So I think that would include a bunch of those, those other creditors that are on the platform. Um, $275 million is owed to FTX through its line <laughs> of credit, which is hilarious. We'll, we'll get to this a little bit more later, but there's like this sort of debt swapping that's happening yeah. here. 
Um, and $49 million is owed to an undisclosed creditor. Can I can I jump in with something really funny actually that Please do. Uh, I, I saw so I, I saw released um a load I don't know if you saw this Alameda uh research their kind of creditors on their uh credit cards that they had it was like the top 5 creditors were like released and uh I think it was like fourth on the list was um 55 or 60,000 dollars of an open tab at Margaritaville uh, Beach Resort was, <laughs> was in their top credits. It was truly remarkable. It just really brought a smile on my face uh, just thinking about how they racked up that tab. Uh, but yeah, anyway, continue. Just imagine them like, like they're just sitting there on the beach, like drinking $60,000 worth of margaritas, just l- listening to Cheeseburger in Paradise on repeat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah so like at least we get some comedy value out of this at, at some points but anyway go on with the slightly more serious uh liabilities that we're discussing here with <laughs> yes so uh a couple other things to come out of the bankruptcy filing how much cash on hand does BlockFi have hmm turns out it's about 256.9 million dollars so we've mm. got a pretty big hole there which yeah. is becoming a common theme <laughs> As we go through these proceedings. Uh, And ironically, the SEC is actually listed as one of BlockFi's top creditors because you'll recall that BlockFi was fined $100 million by the SEC in February for failing to properly register its crypto lending product. So the SEC weren't just staking their XRP tokens. (laughs) How funny would that be? (laughs) And you know what, Matt? That wouldn't even surprise me after all of these like Canadian teachers' pension funds were losing millions and millions of dollars in FTX. (laughs) I know. I I shouldn't joke about this because we're going to come back to this episode in like three months' time and say, remember when we said that the SEC, (laughs) you know, they'll be actually... Uh, I'm yeah, just going to shut up now. Bankrupt. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it looks like over $30 million in that fine is still outstanding. So I guess that BlockFi was paying the fine, uh, but there's $30 million in debt there. Uh, now, here's where things get a little interesting. So during the first day of the bankruptcy hearing, BlockFi revealed that FTX and Alameda Research owe it more than $1 billion. And here's their claim. What? Yeah. <clears throat> $671 million on a now defaulted loan to Alameda, I guess a loan that BlockFi had made to Alameda and they defaulted on, and $355 million in funds frozen on the company's crypto exchange. So basically frozen mm. in FTX. So I, I guess that what we're looking at here is that BlockFi owed FTX $275 million for its line of credit that it had taken out a few months ago. But even prior to that, it had... million that was defaulted in an Alameda loan and $355 million that they had on the FTX exchange that of course is gone now. Uh, So you've got... (laughs) Wait, so so wait. So, right, hold on. (laughs) Let me get my head around this. (laughs) So Alameda had a loan of $670 million. Well, at least maybe that includes interest or whatever. But uh, they, they owed... BlockFi, $671 million. Meanwhile, Sam is opening up a revolving line of credit for them for $400 million. What is happening here? What is going on? This yeah, is just... I, it doesn't I, I, make I sense don't understand. I mean, I would say maybe it's like some type of weird, you know, accounting trickery or fraud, yeah. but I... 
I recall hearing that they didn't even really have accountants at FTX. They literally <laughs> didn't. You know, I was listening to, um, we were coming full circle. I was listening to the uh, um, Up Only podcast this morning and they had Mark Capele's, uh, you know, the Bit- uh, Mount Gox uh, guy um, on the show. And it was like, he was giving advice around like how FTX should have been handling this uh, from his experience of now being in what, like nine or 10 years of bankruptcy pr- proceedings with, with uh, Mount Gox. And he was saying like, yeah, you know, they didn't even hire a single accountant at FTX. Even Mount Gox had uh, a bunch of accountants. This is unbelievable to me. Apparently, like a lot of like the way that the expenses and stuff was like managed at uh, FTX was literally through Slack emojis. They would post into a Slack channel and they would like basically like have a Slack emoji for like approved or denied. And just, you can't, I, I, this is, billions of dollars that we're talking about and this is how this is all managed it would give me a a panic attack almost on a daily basis if i didn't have an accountant like i I nearly have a panic attack not having my like if i can't get in touch with my own accountant now and i can tell you something i'm not managing billions of dollars so yeah it's uh yeah it's just wild to me it's absolutely insane. I mean, imagine having like a 30 plus billion dollar company and not having an accountant. Uh, look, okay, hey, I, I, there is a lot that I would do to never have to use Concur again, okay? It's a real pain in the ass, but yeah. holy crap, Slack emojis to approve and deny expenses. That's, I, 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 just, I feel like, if you know nothing about the FTX collapse and you just want to understand how absurd it is, just that one bit of information pretty much sums up the entire thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, that is like the the biggest red flag I think I've ever heard. Like an yeah. enormous financial services institution doesn't have any accountants. What? <laughs> uh, Incredible. Well, uh, it gets better, Matt, because BlockFi is now also suing SBF over his 7.6% stake in Robinhood, which has been discussed. Oh, I a lot. forgot a about that. Yeah. yeah, I know. And there's a lot of questions around like, okay, what's going to happen to the Robinhood stake? If you recall, uh, just a few months ago, we were speculating that SBF was going to buy Robinhood. Yeah. Could you imagine? What's um, happened to but, Robinhood stock? I'm just going to have a little look at this. I, I yeah, actually, take a look. Yeah, Robinhood. I imagine yeah. there's a lot of red. <laughs> I'm going to guess uh, at that. Uh, yeah. You know, it's not, it's not too bad. They're only down 2.5% over... The, oh, no, wait, no, 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 21% over the past month. Yeah, that's not... Well, okay. how does that compare to, like, other growth stocks? Let's see. Uh, oh, yeah, most of the market is pretty flat around that. So, yeah, they are trending down. They're about 20% yeah. down. That's... yeah. Not great. For year that. over year, uh, it's not good as well. <laughs> um, oh, anyway. Apply that statement to any asset <laughs> right yeah, now. Exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so yeah, the uh, BlockFi is suing SBF over his 7.6% stake in Robinhood as part of their bankruptcy proceedings. And according to the filing, this is interesting, those assets were actually pledged to BlockFi under the terms of an agreement that they made on November 9th. What? So yeah. Isn't that wild? That is b- incredibly bizarre. That's very, very strange. Because wasn't SBF 
did did he become the single largest shareholder in Robinhood? I I, I seem to think it was he was at least I close so. to that. Yeah. yeah. So like, how how would he even? Yeah. Uh, I mean, why am I even questioning how Sam is doing stuff at this point? I I I, I it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Those shares are worth pretty pretty substantial amount, right? At, at the time. Right. Yeah. I mean, when the shares were purchased, they were worth about $600 million. So that mm. was a lot of money that was being uh, pledged to BlockFi. Of course, you know, back on November 9th, they had already depreciated a significant amount. So I don't know what they were worth at the time, but it was a lot less. But nevertheless, uh, BlockFi and FTX basically have <laughs> like a giant exchange of debt and assets happening here through this bankruptcy proceeding. Like here, I owe you $275 million, you owe me a billion plus Robinhood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you, if you think about this, this could have got, I mean, this is bad for Robinhood, right? And uh, I think that this could result in the liquidation of those those shares. Yes. However, can you imagine if SBF had bought Robinhood? You know, like oh thinking about this, I mean, he'd have probably had to liquidate like and sell his stick. That would have been absolute chaos. Yeah. Um, even more so. Whew, yeah, this uh, this is this is a big one. I mean, it it leaves us to kind of get to uh, what what could be next in terms of contagion. I think that the still the big outstanding one, which we obviously dug in in detail last week is Genesis, right? And yes. whether we're going to see that fall. It's, it seems like, I mean, I, I, I'm, I've kind of done speculating. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know anything anymore, but you know, it's uh, it, it seems like the urgency at least of getting that 1 billion and, and then, 500 million that they needed, but within a week, all of a sudden wasn't needed that urgently anymore. So hopefully, hopefully we don't see that happen, but that feels like another big one, maybe Nexo as well as the, the other mm -hmm. big one that could potentially fall. Um, whew, yeah. But it, it seemed like BlockFi at least that was a matter of time before this one was going to happen. Yes. Yeah. This one, this one seemed obvious. We will keep an eye on any additional continued contagion events from the fallout of FTX. But up next, a couple additional stories in our wrap-up. OpenSea, the leading NFT marketplace, is seeing its market share get pretty drastically eaten up by the new kind of kid on the block, Blur. That's Blur.io, the NFT marketplace. Over the past 30 days, OpenSea's share of the NFT marketplace market set out by kind of total volume distribution has really started to take a hit. You can actually view this in this amazing uh, June dashboard. Um, if you just type in like uh, NFT marketplace market share June into Google, like you'll, you'll find it straight away. It's one of the top ones. But looking at the past 30 days, right? OpenSea's market share is 46%. Blur in a close second at 34%. And then X2Y2 is 7% and looks rare is 5%. If you kind of spread that back 90 days, OpenSea, which is currently at 46%, was at 57%. With Blur which is now at 34%, was only 14%. Um, and actually, on top of that, in the past 90 days, 6% of the market share was owned by Gem.xyz, which is 
was acquired by OpenSea. So you can probably add that on to take OpenSea into the 60%. Over the last year, like t- the, the market share that you can look at for OpenSea is 78%. So you can really start to see the, uh, the, the, the change that's kind of happened here. And I think a lot of this is stemmed around the fight around creator royalties. We did an episode that we touched on a little bit about this, but it's shaken up the market a lot. Um, I think that's why we've started to see um, X2Y2 and, of course, Blur as well start to gain some market share here. And if you recall recently, OpenSea have just kind of in the past two weeks um, announced that they will also be making creator royalties optional for any NFTs kind of moving forward. But any of the collections listed there historically will retain mandatory creator fees. So we'll keep a, we'll keep a close eye on that. In other NFT-related news, ApeCoin and um, Bored Ape Yacht Club and Mutant Ape Yacht Club um, NFTs have been rallying pretty hard over the past 14 days. And this is ahead of the rollout of staking rewards. So it's just been kind of much anticipated uh, by the, the the Ape community. So the Ape token is up just over 36% in the past 14 days. Uh, when you compare that against ETH, which is up 1.2%, you can see it significantly outperformed the market. It's one of a, a very small handful of tokens that have been performing that well. The staking rewards themselves are set to go live on the 12th of December. I think they begin staking on like the 5th of December. Um, They're going to be available to those staking their ape tokens. And also you'll be able to stake your board ape and your mutant ape uh, NFT. I'm not sure yet on what those rewards are. As we often see, staking rewards are very high to begin with and then crash down as more enter the market. But the Board Ape Yacht Club uh, floor price is up 30% over the past seven days. Mutant Apes are up 33% over the past seven days. You can check that out on nftpricefloor.com. It's always a good one for checking in on that. What I thought was kind of interesting here is there's been some controversy because Horizon Labs have been building the, uh, the kind of custom NFT marketplace for the Ape community. Um, they're the ones that are launching the, the staking uh, platform. And U.S. residents actually aren't allowed to use their kind of staking UI. Um, but it is worth calling out, you can just stake directly via the smart contract and bypass their UI. Uh, you can do that directly through Etherscan. There's plenty of stuff on Twitter that you can check out to see that. But I thought that one is kind of interesting and something where it's been a while since I've seen like some rallying around stuff like staking rewards and things like that. So clearly there's uh, there's some momentum to be had in the market, but we'll, we'll see yeah. how that plays out. It's interesting. Uh, just when you thought we weren't going to talk about SBF anymore, <laughs> SBF has said that the FTX hacker may have been a former employee. I think we all kind of saw this coming. Uh, we knew that it would have needed to be some type of an insider. In an interview with Tiffany Fong, he said, quote, I've narrowed it down to like eight people. I don't know which one it was. Uh, This suggests that it was either a former FTX employee or someone who installed malware on a former employee's computer. So something to keep an eye on there. Can can we just just talk about the fact that 
SBF is in the middle of bankruptcy proceedings and what is going to be a serious criminal investigation, no doubt. And he is just openly talking to people about the details of this and speculating. He is making a real mess for himself. And to be honest, I am all for it. You know, <laughs> I like he is going to have no kind of defense, like angles left to take uh, when when it comes to kind of him potentially, if it ever does happen, going on trial. So yeah, this is, it's just bizarre to me, even less the stuff he's saying, but more so the fact that he has not just got someone that's kind of put a gag on him basically for a while. I know it, it is bizarre. And uh, I, I don't know, Matt. I mean, I, as far as I understand, Bernie Madoff was arrested within 24 hours of his Ponzi scheme collapsing. Um, SPF is still out there walking free. He's getting all of these puff pieces written about him and even, you know, media coverage that I've seen that isn't puff piece material. Um, it's, it's still pretty weak and light. And I don't know if that's just, you know, because they're sourcing other media and not doing research themselves, but you would expect this to be like front page of every piece of media talking about one of the most insane financial frauds in history and the evil person behind it in a similar way that Bernie Madoff and others have been treated. And it's just not happening here. In fact, SPF is really starting to maybe go on like a bit of a media tour now. Yep. Today, as of, or actually uh, when this will be published yesterday, Wednesday, November 30th, He's speaking at the New York Times Deal Book Summit alongside Mark Zuckerberg, Janet Yellen, and Ben Affleck. <laughs> oh my goodness, God, that's a that's a that's a panel I would love to see. Uh, yeah, just, what? Yeah, what is what is happening? Um, it's. I think it's fair to say the uh, the New York Times Deal Book Summit is going to get some viewership uh, from from that. Um, <laughs> It's just so bizarre because you see these events, they drop people over much, much less serious accusations and scandals uh, over, you know, <laughs> a, an ob objectionable tweet. The New York Times or, or any of these uh, events will drop you immediately. And here we have SBF committing financial fraud that is literally causing people and institutions to be destitute. And uh, he's going to be up there talking next to Janet Yellen. So it's just bizarre. And um, it makes me wonder, again, about what level of treatment he is going to receive long term. And if he isn't brought to justice, I think it really draws into question um, how our <laughs> how our systems work in the United States. Anyway, he's also joining, yeah, he's also joining several Twitter spaces next week, uh, which I think should be interesting. Um, these, I, I've been speaking a lot about Twitter spaces over the course of the past several weeks. You know, there's one in, in particular that Mario Narfall, if I'm pronouncing his name yeah, correctly, they've been um, good. has, yeah, they've been pretty good. He's, he's been doing this with Kim.com and they've gotten, I mean, Elon Musk was on there for a couple minutes, but he managed to get Hunter Biden on there. Um, some people from the SEC and uh, yeah, really uh, incredible conversations have happened there. CZ dropped in for a long one. I remember that one. That was great. Yeah. Um, he had 
<laughs> the, just a total classic. BitBoy was on there. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I don't know yeah. if you saw. Did you see BitBoy where he was like, he went to the Bahamas and yeah. was live streaming himself, <laughs> hunting down SBF and was like, it's like, what is happening? What The world yeah. has gone wild. Um, but I yeah, know. I saw well. this classic exchange that was like, guys, I think BitBoy might actually get arrested before SBF does. The crypto bros are going to do something now, I guess, you know. Yes. Yeah, I know. <laughs> taking it, taking the justice into their own hands. Yep. Uh, anyway, yes. So SBF will be joining some Twitter spaces. That's an interesting one. I think that uh, it's safe to say this time next week, we will probably have some updates on SBF and his status with the justice system. All right. Most um, definitely. Just, yes. Now we have had a lot of gloom and doom lately, but there is some positive news that Matt and I want to talk about. The first of which is that Brazil, a country very close to my heart, has legalized crypto as a method of payment. Also, Brazil is going to win the World Cup. Thank you very much. Also, Matt, I ob- uh, I object. the USA... <laughs> I object to this. This will be edited out of the podcast. I'll have no... None of that kind of talk that is anything other than England are going to win the World Cup. So we'll... uh, I don't know if you saw a couple days ago, but the USA honorarily beat England in our uh, pre our pre elimination game against you when we ended the game zero to zero, which is a win in my book. It's you know uh, yeah we kind of yeah you you should start with a handicap. I I understand. Uh, but, you know. Anyway, we'll skip past this. We're gonna we're, we'll have to agree to disagree. Austin. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. So, uh, yes, Brazil has legal. Something we can agree on is that it's awesome that Brazil has legalized crypto as a method of payment. Now, this does not mean that they've designated uh, Bitcoin as legal tender, but it, it does mean the next best thing, which is that they passed a law legalizing cryptocurrencies as a means of payment throughout the country. And this gives a regulatory boost to the adoption of digital currencies in general and just sort of the expansion of the ecosystem in Brazil. And Brazil has actually classically made some pretty good progress in terms of crypto regulation and adoption among investors, at least. It's currently the country with the most crypto ETFs in Latin America. And most of Brazil's major banks and brokers do offer some type of exposure to crypto investments. Even Itaú, which is one of Brazil's largest private banks, is currently working to tokenize assets as part of its future pack of services to investors. So that's an interesting one. Uh, One thing I did want to call out is that the law that was passed that enabled all of this to happen, it doesn't mention anything about the issuance of CBDCs or a central bank digital currency. Uh, However, the Brazilian government has been making pretty significant moves in this direction, which I know scares a lot of us. Uh, (laughs) But I I was glad to see that CBDCs were not part of this particular legislation, although it could be laying some groundwork for it, I imagine. Uh, Feels like a matter of time. Yeah, I know, it does. Um, We should probably do an episode on CBDCs. There's so much to dive into there. And over here, yeah, over here in the U.S., the New York Fed has, I don't know if you've heard about this, Matt, they've launched a 12-week CBDC pilot program the pilot, with some yep. major banks. Yeah, like uh, BNY Mellon is involved, City, U.S. Bank, Wells Fargo. So they're going to do this for 12 weeks. It feels like all 
bad legislation that I've been subjected to in California when I was living there started with like an eight to 12 week pilot program that was like, oh no, we're just going to try this bad idea for like a few weeks. Like it's, and it's only going to be like a small portion of the population affected by it. And then it becomes like a full blown law after that. I'm sure it'll work so, out great, Austin. Um, yeah. I'm sure it'll work out great. <laughs> you know, I got no concerns there. Uh, I think this 12 week program the the public will be saying keep it going everybody what a great job we love you Citibank, and we love you wells fargo come on let's have more of this that's what i expect from all this oh my gosh the only entity that i trust more than ftx is u.s bank (laughs) (laughs) wells fargo never hurt retail you know right Uh, uh, tell me there's okay. more good news, Austin. Tell me there's more. There, there is. I know. How did our good news turn into bad news? <laughs> good news always turns My into goodness. bad news. This is what our podcast is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, I promise this next one is pure good news. I was so happy to see this. And that is that crypto remains the largest investment sector in 2022, outpacing fintech and biotech in the emergency or emerging technologies sector. Um, so this is good. What this means is that there's continued investment in crypto uh, and specifically Web3 and DeFi are still leading funding activity in the venture capital space, even as deals are slowing down. I think that this speaks to its long-term potential. Obviously, we're going through a terrible period right now, but uh, it doesn't change the underlying potential, the fundamentals that are in place. Investment in emerging technologies did fall for the third consecutive quarter. Deal values reached $4.7 billion, which is down 32% from the spring's $6.9 billion. But despite that decline, Web3 and DeFi projects were still the largest areas for investment in emerging tech. They actually mm. beat out, like I said, fintech and biotech, which I think is is pretty cool. And especially for you know uh, folks like yourself, Matt, working on awesome projects in the space, it, it spells like, look, if you can make it through the, the bear market of all bear markets that we're experiencing right now and still get significant investment, still have runway, uh, it spells really good times ahead, I think. Hundred percent. Yeah, I think you know, even even those numbers that you described, still still big numbers, uh, especially in current market conditions. And actually, as someone obviously in the space and continuously speaking with investors, funds, etc., prior to the FTX kind of crash, um, there was still like there was there was still activity happening on the funding side of things. So. Um, there's, there's probably going to be, uh, a, a bit of a quiet quarter now, just as investors kind of, and funds lick their wounds a little bit. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, th- I think it's very positive to, to see this, this is the case. Yeah, I think you're right. And we have been talking about this for a bit of time, at least in, uh, relation to crypto cryptocurrency values, but I think that it will apply more broadly across the entire space, which is that there's probably more pain ahead uh, before we start to see a light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, Nevertheless, $6.5 billion in total has been invested over the past 12 months, and that's a lot larger than the second most backed space, which is fintech, which raised $2.7 
billion. Mm. Um, now, a lot of this was driven by a couple large deals for the last quarter, which was it amounted to $879 million invested. Uh, and two of those largest deals were Mistin Labs and Aptos Labs, which oh, yeah. raised $300 million and $200 million respectively. So yeah, those were some big ones. Uh, here's a funny one, Matt. These came second only to WeWork founder Adam Newman's new rental startup, Flow. Sign <laughs> which me up. Raised... Yeah, I know. Sign me happened? up. Oh you know? my gosh, they raised $350 million? I can't... I wonder... I wonder which incredible uh, in investment firm did this. Oh, let me guess. A16Z. <laughs> they, 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 when is A16, I feel like A16Z are just going to have the most monumental losses on some of their like tech funds over the... They've basically invested in every single thing. And the, the only outcome where they lost was basically if everything went bad. And it turns out that actually 2022 has delivered everything bad. So <laughs> I, yeah, I just can't see how this happens, but at least they've got a really stable uh, founder leading the way on on, uh, on, on that project. So yes, we'll that yeah. uh, uh, can't be worse than Luna, I guess. So we'll see. Uh, <laughs> I take Adam Newman over Sam Bangman fried at least. <laughs> And you know that is what? saying something. That is something that, uh, yeah, if given if given the option, I think I would as well. And I appreciate <laughs> that Luna has now become the bar for success. <laughs> if it's not worse than Luna, then it's a form of success. If you only lose a couple hundred mil, then you're all right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, I, I thought that this was super exciting. There were also some other big raises in uh, digital asset management platform Safe. Uh, they raised 100 million dollars in their series a and then the nft event community proof raised a 50 million dollar round so investment wow, is happening like great. matt said <clears throat> yeah 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 it's exciting um it's so great. we'll see you know what this holds for the space ahead but uh despite all of the gloom and doom folks there is positive news out there and we will continue to cover that right here on off chain you know it crypto podcast. you know it all right man well it's been a pleasure as always austin and i'll see you next week for another episode sprinkled in with a few bits of good news <laughs> in amongst a majority of doom and gloom see you next week austin see you matt Contents of the Decrypting Crypto podcast should not be used and are not intended as investment advice. Please do your own due diligence before making any investment, cryptocurrency or otherwise.